big subject and and it's it's vast and I've got a pretty detailed review uh, in my notes that we're going to go through at some point soon, but I don't really feel led to do that tonight, so I just want to kind of dive right in. And um, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, maybe a passage you're familiar with. It says this, Then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And of course, this is referencing the six days of creation, and then we know what God did on the seventh day, right? He, he rested. And of course, the last um, thing that God created was, was man. He made all those wonderful things, the plants, the animals, the, the firmament, the atmosphere, the moisture, all that. And then his perhaps crowning jewel, if you will, of his creation was you and me. And um, we see in verses before this that when God created man that the Bible says he blessed him. And that word blessed there means that he empowered um, us to prosper. He, he took something from his world and put it upon us in this world so that we could do what He created us to do and live the life that He created us to live. Now, God is a God of order. He's a God of purpose. The Bible says that this is the day that the Lord has made and we'll rejoice and be glad in it. But if this is the day that He made and it is, then you can rest assured that He made this day for a purpose. He is a God of order. He's a God of purpose. He's a God of meaning. He doesn't do anything that's meaningless. Jesus could tell one parable, and there's enough meaning in that one parable to preach a thousand sermons. Everything He does is chock full o meaning. Every story, every miracle, every kingdom, every individual in the Bible, there is layer after layer after layer of purpose and meaning in their lives for us to glean for ours. We also see that God is both specific and our Father God, He is precise. He is exact. There's no slack in Him, the Bible says. Do you understand being slack? Letting the rough end drag? That's good enough. There's no such thing as that's good enough if our Father is involved in performing it or creating it. He does everything to perfection. He does everything with precision, and there is nothing random, chaotic, or confusing about Him. He's not the author of confusion. That means confusion exists, but it does not originate from Him. He didn't write that book. He didn't write that story. He didn't tell you that line. 
He's not the author of confusion. He brings order from chaos. But he does not produce chaos. I made a list of words and I just again felt led by the Spirit to emphasize this as we begin tonight. And absolutely none of these words describe our Heavenly Father or His ways. As a matter of fact, if it is one of these words, then you can rest assured it is not Him. Words like haphazard. Come on now, haphazard. Unplanned. Incidental. Accidental. Hit or miss. He's not a hit or miss God. He's not an accidental, incidental, haphazard, unplanned God. Nor is He aimless, stray, fluky, random, or disorganized. It's not who He is. It's not His nature. It's not His character. It's, it's not a part of anything that He's a part of. I don't know how to say it other than just to simply say it this way. These things are just not Him. We talked about this a little bit in class this morning, but there's so many cliches and sayings in religion today that people say with such passion and conviction that you would think they're quoting the Bible and yet they could not be further from the truth. And one of those is God is in control. My friend, please, if we've learned anything on Sunday together, we've learned that He cannot keep what we do not commit to Him. And this idea that God is in control. Keith Moore said it this way, if God's in control of this planet, He's doing a lousy job. Because the reality is very clear if you read the Bible. God is not in control of this planet. He created this planet. He put Adam and Eve in control of this planet. He owns it, but He leased it to man. The lease will one day run out. And this planet will not always be as it is right now. There's coming a day when Jesus will rule this planet with love. And He will set it all in order. But right now, there are all kinds of things that are out of order. There are all kinds of things that are fluky, random, haphazard, hit or miss, accidental, incidental, unplanned, disorganized, and it is not the way God created this planet to function. Now, what I'm here tonight to try to, I guess the gap, we could say it this way, that I'm wanting to bridge is that if God is not all of these things, and yet we live in a world that He created that's filled with all of these things, a random, fluky, incidental, accidental, haphazard, etc. world, if that's not God, and that's not how He operates, and that's not how He does things, and yet He created this world, why do we have these things in life today? Why do we experience random things and lightning striking people and tornadoes tearing up homes and killing people and all of these things? 
There are people who call those things an act of God. They could not be further from the truth. That is not an act of God. He didn't come to take life. He came to give life. So how do we understand these things? Are there answers pertaining to these things in the Bible? I even want to go so far tonight as, as to bring cancer on, into this discussion because what cancer is, if it's anything, it's cells that are out of control. It's cells that, that have gone rogue and, and, and the structure and the order with which God created the human body, there's things that have become confused and there's things that are disorganized. And that's not how God created Adam. That's not how God created the, the things on a, on a cellular level, nor is it how He created things on a global level. So what is the answer? If God created it good and yet there's bad, and He's not the source of the bad, what is or who is the source of the bad? Well, the answer is actually quite simple. We find it a few chapters over in Genesis chapter 3, verses, um, let's just look at verse 17. For sake of time, we won't go through all of them. But then to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, what God is actually saying here is that because you have eaten, the ground is cursed for your sake. The message translation says the ground is cursed because of you. Now, this thing called the curse, the Bible has plenty to say about it, does it not? In both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. We see it from Genesis all the way through to the end, and the Bible talks about that there's coming a day when there will be no more curse. Now, I'm not trying to alarm you or, or you know, rattle your doctrinal cage tonight because remember we're in this world where the curse is present but we're not of this world and by faith in the blessing that has been restored to us we can now rise above and overcome the curse and even listen to me now we can, like Jesus, destroy the works that have been produced by that curse. Because greater is He who is in us, He who is in me, He who is in you, than He who is in the world. Faith is the victory. We looked at these passages multiple times already. 1 John 5, faith is the victory who, that overcomes the world. Jesus said, in this world, as my, as my brethren in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And everything that's in it, including the curse that is still operative on planet Earth, producing random 
incidental, accidental, haphazard, hit or miss, fluky. You understand fluky? Fluke? Like, man, that's a fluke. Wrong place, wrong time. I don't know about you, I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time before in my life. Thank God for the mercy and grace of God that we live to tell. Amen? But the Bible says that as those who have been born again, the Holy Spirit will lead us so that we're always in the right place at the right time, not the wrong place in the wrong time. To simplify this thing the Bible calls the curse is it's an unseen force on planet earth that's working against mankind. Most people in their ignorance refer to the curse as being bad luck, misfortune, and the same mistake is made when it comes to the blessing and favor of God upon a person. A lot of times people mistake that and call it good luck. Luck has nothing to do with it. Now, the Bible says that we cannot be ignorant of the devil's devices lest he gain an advantage over us. That's 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. I want you to understand something tonight about your enemy. He's very cunning. He's a deceiver. And he's a liar. But he cannot make you do anything. He knows that. He's hoping that you never know that, but too late. He cannot make you do anything. But the Bible says that he tries to manipulate our own affections, our own desires, and he tries to either entice us or provoke us to respond. For instance, the Bible talks about an offense, becoming offended. And the Bible says that we should not take offense, even if someone offers an offense. Not that he would, he's my brother, but if Chuck offered me an offense, in other words, if he said something that was offensive towards me, what I have to understand is that he's just offered me an opportunity to be offended. I don't have to take it. Now let's say that Chuck offered an offense to Aaron and Aaron did take it. Now, if I'm not careful, Aaron will try to offer the offense he took from Chuck to me. Next thing you know, I'm offended at Chuck and Chuck hadn't done anything to me. He did something that offended Aaron. But because Aaron told me about the offense, if I'm not careful, now I've done, I've done taken up someone else's offense. Giving it life, that's right, brother. They let it die on the vine, don't we? But the word offense in the Greek language is the word scandalon. It's spelled S-K-A-N-D-A-L-O-N. Anybody want to just take a wild guess what English word we get from scandalon? Scandal or scandalous, right? But here is, to me, the revelation in all of this. What does that word in the Greek scandalon mean? It means the lever that sets the trap. The bait stick. Right? 
You ever heard the saying, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese? Right? Amen, because that first mouse triggered the trap, right? Now, when Jesus taught on offense, but used the Greek word that means the lever that sets the trap, what do you think He was trying to communicate to us? Anytime someone offers us an offense, we need to recognize it for what it is. It is a trap that has been set for us by the enemy. The enemy is hoping that we will take the bait. It's like gossip. The Bible says that it's a tasty morsel that's hard to resist. It's the devil trying to elicit a response from us. He's trying to manipulate what we say and and what we do. As we've said many times before, we'll say again tonight, He can only influence your life to the extent that He can influence your thinking because if He can influence your thinking, He can influence your choices. Now, we see that in the same way that our Heavenly Father always has something more and better in mind. In other words, whatever He's trying to do in your life tonight, He wants it to be a blessing to you tonight, but He's already, it's, it's kind of like a good chess player. A good chess player, what, is stays three to five moves ahead. And so, Father God is also, but He's not trying to manipulate you, He's trying to lead you. He's trying to get you to take some steps of faith and so, that, and, and, and so that you can see some things you haven't seen before that'll lead to more faith and a bigger step. And, and He's wanting to bring you, you know, as slowly or as quickly as you'll cooperate with Him into your highest and best life. And in the same way, I believe, Matt, that Lucifer, when he was in heaven, he learned this from God the Father. He watched God the Father do this. And so in the same way, the enemy, what he's trying to do in your life tonight is not the end result, but he's trying to get you to make one choice, entice you to do one thing because he's then wanting to, to take that to the next level and the next level and the next level to just continue to lead us down a pathway of, of losing and, and being stolen from and ultimately dying. You you ever heard the expression, you know, playing the long game? And what that means is, you know, it's like, you know, this this may take a, you know, this may take days, it may take weeks, may take weeks, but I'm in it to win it, you know. Now, when Satan deceived Adam and Eve into messing up what God had made not just good, but very good. Orderly, organized, purposeful, meaning. Everything had a place and everything was in its place. And, and it was all working like a fine oiled machine, so to speak. The enemy wanted to mess that up, but he didn't have the power or authority to mess it up himself. So what did he do? He manipulated, he deceived Adam and Eve who did have the power and authority into messing it up to messing it up for him. Are you seeing this? This is how he operates. Now, 
once Adam and Eve went against God, they actually went against God by doing what? By going against God's Word. Am I right about it? And we see that it was God's Word that did what? It created the world that they were living in. It not only created it, but Hebrews 2 tells us that His Word upheld it, His Word maintained it, His Word sustained it, and His Word propelled it forward. One translation of Psalm 82 says that this world is now coming unglued. The New King James Version says the foundations are out of course. In other words, something is fundamentally, foundationally wrong. And we know that because we're seeing randomness. We're, we're seeing things that are not the nature and character of the Creator. Because Adam was given such a prominent position when he sinned, he threw a wrench into the works because remember, how did he sin? He violated the very thing that created the world that he, that he was living in and also the very thing that gave him life. How do I say this? Holy Spirit, help me. Okay, so if, so if the Garden of Eden is a boat, he's shooting holes in it. You know, the very thing that's keeping him afloat, he, he is, you know, he's putting sugar in the gas tank. He's throwing a rich in it, right? Now, we said last week, we'll say it, we'll say it again this week. I'm, I know we're just kind of walking you through all this. But all of this was and remains an elaborate, perhaps one of the most elaborate traps the enemy has ever set for us. Because the moment haphazard, the moment random, the moment all of that was introduced into our life experience, We've got a choice to make. In other words, what is he trying to do? Let's go back to the offense. Why does the enemy try to manipulate people into offending us? Because he's setting a trap for us. He's trying to get us to take the bait. He's trying to get us to respond. Because he knows that if we respond to that bait and we take the offense, that offense can become unforgiveness. That unforgiveness can put down roots and become bitterness. And the Bible says when a root of bitterness is in a man or a woman, that that root of bitterness will defile many people. Long game. Are you seeing this? So now, the ground is cursed for Adam's sake. I got to show you one more verse. Thank you, Jesus. It's 
in Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. I'm going to go ahead for sake of time. Romans 8 and 19 is on the screen. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Do you see that? Creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Now I know sometimes you guys get nervous when I start talking about the way the Bible was translated, or especially if I believe it was not translated correctly. I personally, and you can disagree with me and that's fine, we'll still go to heaven together, but I personally disagree with the capitalization of that last H in Him who subjected it in in hope because the capitalization of that H in Him gives us the implication that it was God who subjected the creation to futility. I think the Bible clearly teaches that Adam is the one who subjected the creation to futility. Now, you have to understand something about the Greek New Testament. I'm talking about the original Greek New Testament from which these words were translated into the English language. Are you ready? Every letter was capitalized and there was not a single space in between the words. So when it's translated into English, we capitalize pronouns that refer to God so that when we're reading, we will know, first of all, that it's a sign of respect, but also that we'll know this is talking about God and not man. But this was a translator's call. Are you hearing me? In other words, they had to decide, well, is this, was it God who did it or was it Adam who did it? And so because... Many people do not believe that Adam had the ability to, to do it. They say only God could do this. But again, the ground was cursed for Adam's sake because of what Adam did. He threw the wrench in it. Am I right about it? Now, this word futility, subjected to futility, it's very similar to the definition of the word curse. It means caused or forced, subjected means caused or forced to undergo the control of, and futility speaks of frustrated efforts, something working against. And that which is working against us is the curse, and the curse is here because of Adam. God didn't curse, God blessed. God blessed Adam. He empowered Adam. The curse came because of Adam and what Adam did. Amen or oh me? Now, let me finish this because I'm about out of time for this evening. We've never lived in a place where there's no curse. So it requires some imagination. But in a place where there's no curse, You don't stomp your toe. Are you, are you, are you know what I'm saying? In a place where there's no curse, no one gets struck by lightning. There's no tornadoes. There's, there's, there's no uh, accidents. And I, again, we, we don't even ask how to explain this. There's, it, it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. 
Because that's where God is in control, right? That's where He is in control. Everything's precise. Everything's exact. There is no randomness. We've never lived in a place where there's no randomness. We don't know what that's like, right? But again, that was Adam and Eve's existence until this curse came. The curse came. Now, he can work all day to plant something and it not rain on it and the seed never come up. That was not how God created this earth to function. That's because there's now an unseen force working against Adam. And God is not that unseen force. Remember, that fall separated Adam from God. It's not that God didn't love him anymore, but sin separates. We could say it another way, right? Now, Adam is trying to deal with life on a level of difficulty that he's never experienced, compounded by him being spiritually separated from God. How is he going to cope? How is he going to manage? How is he going to try to keep the randomness at bay and eke out a living for him and his family? That's where he found himself, right? And I'm offering to you again tonight that this is perhaps one of the most elaborate traps the, the devil ever said. He didn't just set it for Adam. He set it for every human being that will ever come after Adam. We see the response from Abel. How did Abel deal with it? He took the best of his flocks because he was a shepherd. And he slit their throats. Any good shepherd knows you don't do that. Any herdsman, any man who raises livestock knows you take your strongest and best and you use them to reproduce and you use the others for pulling plows or meat for the table or whatever. Not Abel. Abel says this, are you, are you following me? How am I gonna deal with a cursed planet and the randomness that comes from the curse and an unseen force in this earth working against me. How am I going to deal with it? Am I going to take my chances? Am I going to play it safe? How am I going to deal with it? I'll show you how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to slit the throat of my best animals and offer them as a sacrifice to my Creator, expressing to Him my absolute trust, confidence, and faith in Him to sustain me and to protect me from a force that I cannot protect myself from. You see in this, right? Cain took the exact opposite. We could say it this way. Cain stepped on the lever. People say that his offering of, of vegetables because he was a farmer was rejected because it wasn't one of blood. That's not true. You read all throughout the New Testament where they would bring offerings of, of grain and meal and, and the first fruits of, of the harvest and, and things of this nature to God. So God did not reject Cain's offering because it was not a blood sacrifice. 
Let the Bible interpret itself, and if you read it over in Hebrews 11, you'll see that Cain's offering was rejected because it was not one of excellence. In other words, he did not bring his best produce or the first of his produce to God. He brought the leftovers. He brought the, 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 the tomato that was you know, half as, as big and with, a, with a growth deformity on one side of it and a bird hole picked in the other side, pecked in the other side of it. Notice what he's doing. He's saying, I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to use my ingenuity as a farmer. I'm going to keep the best produce for myself. I'm not going to eat it, but I'm going to take that seed and I'm going to plant it. I'm going to use my own ingenuity. I'm going to use my own know-how. I'm going to jerk my own self up by my own bootstraps. And, and by God, single-handedly, I'm going to beat this curse without God. And I'll throw a little on God's altar for good luck. Just in case. Do you see? He took the bait. He didn't go with God's ability. He went with probability. He decided to take his chances. This is where it all began, my friend. And it continues to this day. Are we going to be like Abel and trust in God's ability? Or are we going to be like Cain and trust in probability? Chances are, if you save the best produce, chances are, if you play your cards right, chances are, if you time it just right, chances are, if you get the right soil and the right weather and the right sun and the right time, that you will have more produce than you know what to do with. Chances are. That's probability. Confidence is not in probability. Our confidence is in His ability and God's ability. Amen. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Praise God. Father, as we stand here this evening, we recognize our position in Christ. It's one of ruling and reigning in life. Father, we refuse to view life as something that happens to us. And if we've looked at life that way, we ask, Father, that you forgive us and that you help us tonight see that we're not here as dust in the wind being tossed around by whatever life brings along. We're not going to have a roll with the punches mentality any longer, Father. We're going to stand up in faith and start throwing punches. We're going to start taking our rightful place 
as those who have dominion and authority over the enemy, over this created realm, and learn how to rule and reign in life by faith, not just sit back and let life happen to us. Father, I thank you tonight that we are taking back our birthright of faith. And that you're making this so clear and so plain to us that, that, that we, we are no longer being deceived into thinking that probability in our hearts and in our minds is somehow faith. Lord, we're recognizing the subtle differences between the two and you're making us aware of situations in our lives where we're playing it safe and we're, we're hedging our bets and we're relying on luck instead of standing on the Word of God. Thank you, Father, that we're growing up in some things that we've needed to grow up into for a long time. And we're excited about the next three moves you have planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Good things coming.